getting multiple texts from people who either work at pumpkin patches or have been to pumpkin patches and seen black pumpkins because some pumpkins are black. And it's not a racist thing. It's just uh, that particular (laughs) gourd comes in the color black. They are pumpkins. Black pumpkins. Idiots. Like if you leave your bananas out too long, they will not become racist. They just It's just part of the decaying process that it's, they become black. It's not a comment. <laughs> no, it's, it's not. It's just biology. <laughs> it's nature. Take it up with Mother Nature. Right. We can discuss this, have a dialogue about it. <laughs> All right. There'll you be know, some dialogue. It's, it's either going to turn one We're way or the other. We're talking about the racist pumpkins they're selling at Bed Bath & Beyond. Blackface pumpkins! Blackface pumpkins! That's all there is. It's either going to go one way or another. I could hear all this stuff is going to be exposed as how ludicrous it is. And people will turn away and come back to sanity, the the sanity of uh, Martin Luther King Jr. and that sort of thing. Or uh, this sort of fundamentalist lunacy will take hold and anybody who dares dissent will be jailed. Uh, I, I could hear that idiot clip. That idiot clip all day long. Oh, I'll, yeah. I'll never Please. get tired of this clip, yeah. Michael. They yeah. are pumpkins, black pumpkins, idiots. <laughs> <laughs> and that's a black lady, so that's her truth. All right. Um, this is pretty interesting. Wait, we, wait, wait. Didn't we just hear yesterday that another university had outlawed clapping because it's triggering? Oh, that's right. That's right. I was uh, playing golf the other day and talking to uh, my buddy, and he he said, "Oh my God, because a bunch of other old white men, probably." My beloved child, my eldest child, is on the autism spectrum, has anxiety problems, OCD problems, etc. If you told her that story that applause is too triggering, she'd say, "What the hell are you talking about? Applaud away." The what's it supposed to supposedly trigger? A fear of being slapped on both sides of your face. I don't. I don't know. It's loud and scary. Mm-hmm. I guess mm-hmm. I don't know. Uh, we have a problem uh, in our society of uh, an expectation of when people should become adults and self sufficient, mm-hmm. and the reality of what is happening. Right. It's interesting that 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 there's such a gap as you're about to find out in this Pew Research thing. It's. I mean, it's interesting that it's changed. It's obviously changed over the years. My. My parents, like a, like a lot of people, I mean, depending on your age, but my parents going way on back, getting married at uh, 20, 21, 22, having kids was what everybody did. And you were absolutely an adult and you had your own place and you paid for it. And, and if you didn't, people would have thought there was something wrong with you. If you are 27 years old and have no children, you would be an outlier. Oh, by far. Oh, yeah. A weirdo. They would wonder what was going on with you. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but that has changed and that, that's not necessarily bad, but, uh, our expectations not fitting in with it are interesting. According to a new Pew Research poll, 64% of adults believe kids should achieve financial independence by the time they reach 22. So two thirds of adults think kids should be financially independent at 22, but only 24% are actually financially independent by age 22. Mm. Failures. Slaggers. How could we have a 40% gap in those two things? I would think one of them would change. Wouldn't you? Yes. Wouldn't you think either our expectations would have gone way down? Mm-hmm. Or I, I think they will. Maybe it's, we're in the lag period, the trailing indicator period. People haven't caught on. Uh, caught on. That sounds like, you know, I think it's a good thing. I don't, but... And some of this gets to the... Um, 
blaming millennials or, or whatever that next generation is below them called and whatever. Blaming the kids like they're doing something wrong and it's not the people who raised them. Right. Um, that, that is an interesting These phenomenon. kids, they just decided to be this way. <laughs> Damn kids. <laughs> I'm, I'm telling you, and this is my jihad. It's the disappearance of free play from America. It has led to all of this stuff. All of it. You can't ask a 22-year-old who has never invented a game, invented the rules, settled the disputes, created a world, decided how to manage their time, explored and got lost and found their way back over and over and over again, like kids have for millennia. Kids who have never, who've been, I'm sorry, kids who've been denied those experiences, how can they manage their lives? It's unrealistic to expect them to. In my opinion, this is my jihad. Over half of adults... Jihadism. Thank you, Mitt. Over half of adults believe parents are doing too much for their young adult children. So the majority of us think parents are doing too much for their young adult children. But we still do it, I guess. Uh, With only 10% say they're doing too little. Boy, you 10%. So you look around society and you think people aren't doing enough to help out. Not enough snow plowing. 30-year-olds who are... Too few helicopters. Yeah, interesting. Wow. Breaking news. We have breaking news. Uh Then back to the study. Uh (laughs) Ladies and gentlemen, Tim Ryan has gotten back in. Electress, <laughs> actress Felicity Huffman has been released from prison. Oh, geez. oh, probably for good behavior. That was that was a quick, quick, it, quick bid. It is rare that we mess with Brandon the news donkey. <laughs> when news breaks, the donkey brays on the Armstrong and Getty show. That was comment. That was parody on the fact that the major news networks have been. On like Watergate style war footing on this chick going to prison over bribing colleges. It is. It is up on the ABC site. Breaking. Actress Felicity Huffman has been released from prison. You know what they say. You only do two days in prison. The day you go in and the day you go out. Mm. Is that what they say? They, they said that on the wire a lot. Why and do they she, say that? And she kind of almost literally did that. Yes. <laughs> yes. And it's breaking news that this. Has been actress. Are there any pictures of her? Does she have a teardrop tattoo now on her eye? Oh yeah, right she there? got Cause she handsome. Because she killed somebody in prison. She stuck him with a. Uh, she she carved her toothbrush into a shiv. Right, and she stuck somebody. Right, exactly. A snitch, probably. Right, exactly. That's who you stick the snitches. I I can see her. Uh, <laughs> wow, this is. I can see you're well versed in in prison culture. <laughs> Listen to the the two of you hardcore cons talking. It's fascinating to me. <laughs> Yeah, she was sitting there with her skinny little arm saying, hey, hurry up and tat me. Hurry up. I'm going to be out in like 36 hours. <laughs> but this is breaking news. Rich people bribe their kids' ways into colleges, everybody. Shh. Don't say anything. But she'll never be the same after that experience. Oh, boy. What kind of prison did she go to? Did she go to one of those where you're basically living in a, a trailer and you watch TV for a couple of days? and then come Well, up? well, pictures got out of her husband visiting her and them uh, strolling around the grounds. So I don't think it was uh, Supermax there in, uh, Supermax. in Denver. <laughs> <laughs> what was that place that we were running in Iraq there where we were making them stand on boxes and stuff? Oh, Abu Ghraib. Yeah, it wasn't Abu Ghraib. Yeah. An uncomfortable memory for the country, Jack. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I know. I don't know. I'm laughing at the Felicity Huffman angle, not yeah, the Abu Ghraib angle. Sorry, Brandon. I know it's it's unfair to ask you to do your job and when it's just my joke. Who's the ass now? That's what he says. <laughs> Fair enough. Very funny. Thank you, Michael.
Um, Back to the Pew study, Jack. So uh, almost two-thirds of adults believe kids should be financially independent by the time they're 22. Only about twenty, about one in four are, uh, which is actually higher than I would have guessed. Um, uh, you know, uh, I will tell you housing prices as a percentage of income are a great deal higher right now than they were, say, 25 years ago. It's undeniable. About 45% of those 18 to 29 have gotten at least some financial help from their parents in the last 12 months. Uh, see, 18 to 29. The average 19-year-old getting some financial help from their parents doesn't shock me at all. Right. 29-year-olds getting it? Okay, that's you know that's an interesting situation. Yeah, it's practically a useless age range. Yeah, it really is. You know what the, the one biggie is, and I wonder how much this pushes the numbers, is the uh, the family phone plan. Because your kids are on it. It's a group rate. It doesn't matter if you have two kids or six in a lot of cases. And then the kid gets out of uh, out of the house. They're living in on their own or got roommates in an apartment or whatever. There's no point really in booting them off. Uh, our, our big kids are still on our plan. some point, they'll probably just want a different plan or a different company or whatever, but. As for what those young adults are using their money on, about 60% say they they went for household expenses like groceries or bills as well as their tuition, rent, or mortgage. Um, again, 55% of adults believe parents are doing too much. Only 10% say they're doing too little, while 61% of parents with children 18 to 29 agree that parents are doing too much for their children. Yes. Close to two-thirds of parents. With kids 18 to 29, agree parents are doing too much. Well, then you've got to be some of those. I mean, based on the math. Right. You, you're in the category you're saying is doing something wrong, which is kind of interesting. Yeah. Although, you know, getting back to my jihad. Only 28% admit they say themselves that they're doing too much for their kids. Mm-hmm. Of course, that could be a husband-wife disagreement, too. Yeah, it absolutely could be. And, you know, people, even those of us who are comfortable being outliers... Um, in the way we raise our kids and, you know, into the free-range kid movement. Uh, you can only do so much as parents because there's so many leagues and schools and everything else your kid is involved in, and they're structured differently. And, and, and part of it's just the environment, and part of it's stuff you don't even realize is happening until you're looking back at your kids' uh, childhoods. And so, you know, it gets back to the oft-stated and probably ought to be stated more often idea that tough times make for tough people tough people make for good times good times make for soft people and soft people make for tough times it's just the never-ending cycle and so a lot of kids have grown up in very very easy circumstances because of the peace and prosperity of you know latter half of the 20th century particularly you know 1980 on and the 21st century has anybody zoomed in on felicity huffman's fingers now that she's out of the joint has she gotten thug life tattooed across her fingers her knuckles I assume she has. She's a different person now. What show was she on again? Huh? She no, you're confusing her with uh, Lori Love, who was the 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 Aunt Becky from Full House. Okay, Felicity Huffman is the the wife of Bill Macy, William H Macy, and she. What does she do? What has uh, she, she done? She didn't. She's Remember. done some movies. I don't. She wasn't known okay. for the television right. show. Okay, well, that is uh, what we call a distinction without a difference. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah. Kind of a celebrity, yeah. To some people, great. And she's crazy rich, and she bribed her kids uh, way into uh, uh, college. Oh, best known for Desperate Housewives. Yeah, I'm she, a liar. She was the frazzled housewife who was raising her kids. Oh, not having hot affairs and wearing lots of makeup and high heels. Right from Desperate Housewives. Right. Yeah. 
Okay, then. Now I know. Exactly. All right. Um, later this hour, we will talk to Lon He Chen about is Hillary actually getting in and what that would mean, among other things. Armstrong and Getty. The Armstrong and Getty Show. Study found that mashed potatoes are just as good as Gatorade when exercising. So remember, this Thanksgiving, you're not overeating, you're training for the winter game. God, I had mashed potatoes the other night. Oh, so good with gravy. God dang it. Can't my, go there. And my kids don't like it. I told them, get out. You got to leave. <laughs> don't go there. You can't even live here if you don't like mashed potatoes and gravy. I can't, car- I can't carb out like that, man. Do you do the skins with the mashed potato? Um, uh, not on these, but okay. I like it that way. I don't mind a chunky style a bit. Love um, it. I'm making my through this way through this article about how expensive the various Democrat plans are that are running for president. <laughs> and uh, and this uh, the author says, keep in mind, President Obama got elected promising to spend one trillion dollars and then pay for it in a variety of ways with taxes. Whether he did it or not, that was what the promise was, $1 trillion. Today, the moderate Joe Biden is promising $4 trillion in spending with questionable pay-fors. That tells you how much they've shifted to the left, that these days promising $4 trillion makes you look like Barry Goldwater. Wow. Compared to Bernie and Elizabeth. Wow. How odd. I mean, it's, it's kind of times what Obama was talking about. It's almost not a question about policy. It's a question about voters and, and elections. Yeah, absolutely. That can't none be of this said stuff enough. will ever happen. That can't be said enough. This isn't being, it's very similar to the, uh, what we were just talking about. Blim millennials today. Who raised the millennials? <laughs> Come on, look at yourself. Right. If you're unhappy with something, take a look at what, whatever we were doing parenting wise. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's the same thing with the politicians. They didn't make the world this way. We allow them to get away with this crap. Right. Right. We encourage them. We reward them. Yeah, we reward, we well, reward I, them. I don't. You and I don't, but a lot of people do. Well, we get the government we deserve. It's just, to a large extent, it's true. Once the government attains a certain size and power, um, which we're definitely, we're way past that point in the U.S., that no longer is true because there's almost nothing you can do about it. It attains a critical mass. And for instance, the VA abuses, kills our beloved veterans. Everybody knows a bit, knows it. Everybody's paying attention to it and nothing can be done about it. So, you know, but in general, yeah, we get the government we deserve. Or is it the literally seriously conversation from from Trump running? That's what I think it is. Yeah. I think we're going to raise health care and we're going to make billionaires pay for it. Yeah. Is, and Mexico's <laughs> going to pay for the wall. I think yeah. it's the same thing. It just it just might be where we are, because most people, even Trump supporters, didn't think Mexico was going to pay for a big, giant 30 foot wall that went you know border to border. No, they were guffawing as they were cheering. It's just okay. You care about this right. now. Now Elizabeth's doing the same thing about billionaires and healthcare. Yeah, I suppose. Although I don't know, I don't know if the reaction. No, in fact, I disagree. The more I think about it, I disagree. I think many of the people who go to her rallies and want her to be president think she can deliver that. Now, Trump voters thought he could deliver a wall, a big old serious border protection, a wall where necessary technology, people, whatever. They believe that. Um. I think uh, Liz supporters uh, think she can do it, but we'll see. 
There's a scandal, a bribery scandal in Japan. This is shocking stuff. The uh, new trade minister, a guy just took the job. He's had to quit after bribing constituents with melons and crabs. It's the way this guy rolled. Comes to my office, he says, Joe, we could use a little help with the, uh, the new wheat deal with Norway. And I say to him, well, minister... Why don't I think about it over a nice juicy melon? Wait a minute, I don't have any melons. A nice melon would be nice. Mmm, I do enjoy melon. How about the reverse of that? You know, I'm I'm not going to do it. Well, would you if I introduced you to a couple of these? And he says, a couple of melons on the table. What? We're getting closer to a deal. Do you have anything with pinchers? Oh, so you enjoy crab with your melon, Joe. I do, Minister. I do. Next day, a couple of big juicy melons and a box of crab legs shows up. Hell yeah, we can do business. <laughs> not we sure can you, do some not business. Not sure you could bribe me into doing anything with a couple of melons. <laughs> <laughs> What's coming up in your news, Marshall? Well, a DOJ investigation into origins of the Russian collusion probe just got real teeth. We got bad news on the opioid front. And while I, why I'll be singing Baby Shark during tonight's World Series game. <laughs> Would you consider not singing it if there was a nice cantaloupe on your desk? <laughs> but we have no cantaloupe. <laughs> Felicity Huffman has been released from prison. Felicity Huffman is free and on the streets of America. On the streets. A national nightmare is upon us. Adjust accordingly. Hey, that clip is funny, and I like it. I like that usage of it. But isn't it amazing, looking back two weeks, that that host of Meet the Press, sleepy-eyed Chuck Todd, said that? I don't even remember what happened that day, whatever that particular day was, but a national nightmare is upon us. A national nightmare is upon us. You can't keep saying this every couple of days for three years and expect people to react. Today's word of the day is histrionics. Histrionics. Oh, you won't, will you? Have you ever had one of these? Produces a musk melon. <laughs> ah, throwback to former segment. <laughs> the you know, story you of know people what? bribing people with melons. It's just funny. Japanese more... politicians, melons and crab. <laughs> more of a stone fruit guy myself. <laughs> exactly. Uh, you know what? Uh, melon would, would uh, attract my attention. I suppose it's a gourd, not a melon. It's one of those controversial blackface pumpkins. They are pumpkins. Black pumpkins. Idiots. <laughs> Let's get the news now with Marsha Phillips. Getting serious, very serious. The Justice Department's opened a criminal investigation into the FBI's investigation into Russian interference with the U.S. elections. The investigation was previously called an administrative review. Now, the switch to criminal investigation could lead to charges being brought against the law enforcement officials who led the original probe. This uh, new investigation is going to be led by a guy named John Durham. He's a widely respected veteran prosecutor. He is going to be able to subpoena people and maybe even put together a grand jury to hear the evidence as it comes out. I I tell you what, at the very, very least, there are going to be charges for criminal leaking of information from the CIA, definitely, and probably the FBI. There are new, how could there be new, Strzok and Page texts that are uh, hitting your right. 
front page even as we speak that make multiple references to all of the leaks and who's leaking and probably and why they're doing it and the rest of it. So uh, that'll be the least of it. Now, <clears throat> if it's the scandal with a capital S, the United States government util- or, uh, intelligence services being used to target people for political reason, tear down politicians that you oppose, um, we'll have to see. Because that could be a judgment call. If there are sources all over Europe saying, hey, there's there's Trump campaign people talking about having contacts with Russia, you know, that could be fuzzy enough for a prosecutor to say, you know, no, they had to go ahead and look into right. that. That stuff could be t- tough to prove. But illegal leaks, yeah, people could get uh, hammered for that. Pentagon Chief Mark Espers says the U.S. will leave more American troops and armored vehicles in eastern Syria to help prevent ISIS from gaining access to oil fields controlled by the U.S.-allied Syrian Kurds. A U.S. official said the deployment will indeed include the tanks. It's another change in what has been a rapidly shifting U.S. stance on American forces in Syria. So they are going to bolster those forces around the oil fields. Meanwhile, the CDC says fentanyl remains the deadliest drug in the U.S. A new report from the National Center for Health Statistics shows in 2017 fentanyl was responsible for nearly 40% of all overdose deaths, up from 29% just the year before. So fentanyl continues to ravage the country. Coming out of China, impossible to detect. Takes hardly any to kill you. It's a problem. Kids, don't get anywhere near the opioids. Forget it. University of Oxford Student Council is encouraging people to use sign language instead of clapping at council meetings and other student union events. The idea is to use British Sign Language or silent jazz hands for applause since loud noises could cause issues for students with anxiety disorder. No, it couldn't. Measure- no, it doesn't. No kid ever. No real kid. Please clap. I heard a term for this the other day I was going to try to remember um, on what we're doing to people, young people, with this sort of thing. In terms of preparing them for the real world and what it does to you, uh, your psyche, your mind, when you go out in the real world, and none of this exists, right? None of this stuff exists in the real world, and just it would be, well, it would be shocking to you if you if you would, if you'd spent the last four to eight years, depending on how much school you went to, around a system where people asked you your pronouns and yeah. didn't clap. When you get into any job where nobody asks you your pronouns and people clap all the time. It's going to be shot. What is what? What? What is going on here? Right. Yeah, I'm. I'm acquainted with some young people who are dealing with that right now. Their boss doesn't give a damn that they're slightly whatever. We got a client on the phone. He's yelling. We got to get this done. You're triggering me. You're triggering me. It's just. Ooh. It's an incredible disservice to the kids involved. Uh, there's another point. Yeah, go on, Marshall. I'll think of it. Let the Nationals fans sing it once again during tonight's World oh, Series. Oh, I know what I thought of. Wait, we'll get back to baseball in a second. The one thing about the jazz hands, yep, you require that at the State of the Union address. I would like that. It would be one quarter of the length. No applause <laughs> interruptions. Oh, that'd be great. All right, my friends, let the Nationals fans sing it out once again during tonight's World Series game against the Houston Astros. Yes, 
The baby shark earworm is the unofficial song for the Nats when they... I didn't know that. Yeah. Whenever they are playing at home. (laughs) Awesome. It's because uh, Gerardo Parra, he's using it now as his walk-up song. Oh, boy. And what happened was some months back... I assume that's a player for the National. Yes. When the team and he were both in a slump, he adopted that as his walk-up song because his kids loved it so much. As soon as he did that, the team and he both caught on fire. Well, probably because of that. Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. Well, it's certainly. called cause and effect yeah. in science, Marshall. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> My yes. kids will like that, too. We'll have to watch just for that. Yeah, and they, they everybody gets up and they sing and they do the big hands sure. moving like, a, you know, chomping uh, some oh, sort of oh, boy. meal. Anyway. Come on in, China. The mighty Washington Nationals take on the failing Houston Astros <laughs> in D.C. So today. <laughs> That's your news. I'm Marshall Phillips, the Armstrong and Getty Show, the conscience of the nation. Washington Nationals fans frequently heard asking, how many strikes in an outstrike? It's a strikeout, and it's three, because they're just learning what baseball is. Fake fans, boo! Boo! Bandwagon jumpers, boo! They're answering you back. (laughs) So, what would... What, what, what is happening here? So what would you, Joe Getty, like to ask Lon Hee Chen about politics, since he's one of the great pundits in America? The state of the democratic race, certainly. Got to get into Hillary, don't we? How was Because the... I don't think it's just... Um... Are you going to ask him if his neck sweats every time her name is mentioned? <laughs> it's not just fanciful talk anymore, I don't think. Where is the needle on the impeachometer pointing? A lot of good stuff to talk to him about. Yeah. I'm interested in what he thinks Hillary's chances are. Of getting in or winning? Either getting in or winning. Mm. Uh, That and more on the way on the Armstrong and Getty Show. Armstrong and Getty. The Armstrong and Getty Show. something that's popular in punditry keep your eye out for it because it happens all the time and it's it's something stupid that has occurred in the last couple of years ah so pundits on cable news uh or even on the networks on sunday morning they'll they'll put out a a hypothetical that is quite unlikely in some cases very unlikely and then discuss it seriously for 15 minutes Mm -hmm. so they throw out a what if Trump, you know, did do this and then discuss it for 15? Well, there's no evidence he did that. <laughs> what, what, are we, what are we talking about this for? Right. And I have thought that conversation around Hillary Clinton has been that for quite some time. Throw out a, what if Hillary got in the race? Oh, and then discuss it for 15 minutes. Well, there's, there's no chance that was going to happen until this week. Oh, boy. I think things changed this week. I think it's a real conversation now. That New York Times article with all the power brokers in the Democratic Party saying, uh, you know, we're, we're looking elsewhere, and she's on the list. Our guest is Lon Hee Chen, David and Diane Steffi, research fellow at the Hoover Institution, director of domestic policy studies at Stanford University. Lon Hee, how are you? I'm doing well, gentlemen. Oh, how are you? Oh, what, is that? what is that? It's the spirit of Hillary Clinton haunting the Democratic Party. 
I don't know if you're familiar with this, Lon. He, you probably are. One of my favorite quotes from H.L. Uh, Mencken, which I uh, can never find. See, he's describing how unsuccessful presidential candidates ought to be thrown off the top of the Washington Monument. Because once they lose, all they do is wander the countryside spreading bitterness. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, so what of Hillary yeah. in the current state of things? Well, this is the, you know... Some of this, I, I think there's two reasons you're hearing all this speculation. And by the way, you're absolutely right about the hypothetical on cable news. I mean, if, if there weren't hypotheticals, we'd only have like two hours of cable news programming a day. <laughs> yeah, no kidding. Um, How awful would but, that be? But, but you know, the, the Hillary thing, I think, is an outgrowth of two things. First of all, I do think there is a genuine concern in a lot of Democratic Party circles, particularly amongst the more establishment Democrats, that they're not going to have a candidate who's going to be able to compete with Donald Trump when it comes to the general election. So there is a sincere concern that someone like Elizabeth Warren is just too far to the left. Her policies are too far to the left. She's not going to be a saleable asset when when the time comes during the general election. The other thing is, in every presidential primary, as long as I can remember, certainly everyone I've worked on, there is always this yearning for somebody else to come in the race. I remember in 2012 when I was working for Mitt Romney, it was all about Chris Christie. You know, is Chris Christie going to get in the race? Then it was Mitch Daniels. Is Mitch Daniels going to get in the race? Then it was, you know, fill in the blank. In 2016, Republican primary, you know, the tables were turned. It was, you know, will Mitt Romney get into the primary and compete against Jeb Bush? And, and in the Democratic primary that year, similarly, there was, you know, Mike Bloomberg, is he going to get in? So, a lot of what we're hearing now about Hillary and the and the ghost of Hillary, the spirit of Hillary kind of pervading over all the, the, the entire field, some of that is natural. And I think you're going to find that in a presidential primary, regardless of the year, regardless of the candidate. The only thing that I think is, is, is different about it is um, I saw some of the people from Hillary land or from Clinton land on the various cable news shows this weekend, and they didn't knock it down at all. In fact, they spent their time on the TV explaining why she would be a good candidate, which I thought was pretty interesting. Well, they're trying to keep her relevant, because otherwise, why Ah. do you care about Hillary Clinton? You know, why do you care what Hillary Clinton thinks? I mean, the answer is you you don't care anyway. Right, I don't. Correct. (laughs) And I I certainly don't, and I never have. but, But the reality is... That if you don't make it seem like it's some possibility, then that talk goes away and she goes back to, you know, making millions at the Clinton Foundation. You're, so, you're absolutely right. The moment yeah. anybody says, no, nah, she's not interested in running, she's completely done on the on the national stage. It's over. Yeah, she has no platform. She's not an elected official. She doesn't have, you know, anything she's involved in that keeps her in the public eye. And so this is their way of trying to keep people interested in her. But I don't seriously think that she's going to run. I mean, losing the way she did to Donald Trump in 2016 is quite enough, I would think. Lon He Chen on the line. Change of topic, Lon He. The impeachometer, is it pointing more toward impeachment and removal than, say, a week ago, less? What's your take? I think it's, I mean, I've always thought that it was you know, pretty much 100% likelihood he gets impeached because, you know, the House is, is wow. democratically controlled and they have, to, they have to take that vote for a variety of different reasons. On, on the Senate side, I suppose you can argue that the, that the meter is ever so slightly ticking higher in terms of likelihood of removal. I mean, it's still a really low number. I still think the likelihood of removal is somewhere around, you know, 8 to 9%. So it's a low number. But the evidence this week or the, the leaks around the Bill Taylor testimony, um, the, the, the Ukraine ambassador's testimony, 
that was damaging to the president. I don't think there's any way to spin that. Um, for and, folks and, not and so, super into it, why do you say that? Well, just because it, you know, it, it presents sort of evidence of somebody who was involved in the relationship between the U.S. and Ukraine at the time in a very serious way, who, who, who has been a career diplomat, uh, who has been, you know, well, well regarded and generally credible, doesn't seem to have a whole lot of political leaning one way or the other. Uh, for him to say, look, you know, I was concerned about what the president wanted and he read it as a quid pro quo. I mean, those those kinds of pieces of evidence of people who were involved in the process at the time and who don't seem to have an axe to grind, that 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 seems to me to be to be more credible than not. And so that's why I think, you know, people sort of pause and say, well, that's an interesting piece of evidence. Again, I don't know that it changes anybody's mind at this point, but I do think a lot of this is a question of when does the Jenga tower collapse? Huh. And 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 what, you know, what piece causes it to collapse? And I think that's the question we got to ask. Lon He Chen has a podcast called Crossing Lines with Lon He Chen, and I was listening to another podcast the other day with Jonah Goldberg and somebody else on it, and they were discussing um maybe things were better, they believe things were better back when it was smoke-filled rooms picking candidates for the parties instead of the process we got now. And there was more of an emphasis on the party platform. You knew what each party stood for. They they announced their platform, and it was more about the platform than the person, as opposed to now it's more about the personality, and nobody knows what the platform is of either party. What are your thoughts on that as a guy who thinks about this sort of stuff? Yeah, I mean, I think that's absolutely right. Having having worked on the party platform, you know, the last couple cycles, I can tell you, it, it really is a posturing document that nobody actually reads anymore. And it is about the, and by, by the way, what goes into the platform is entirely what the nominee of the party wants in terms of the policy that he or she comes up with. That seems that like, ends that up seems crazy. Platform. Yeah. And, 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 and so, I mean, if you go back to the premise that things were better before, I, I, I do think there's a certain uh, truth to that because what happened in in the old days is parties were forced to think about things like general election electability ability to govern experience and and you know to me at least those are important factors now to a lot of people they're not and that's why we've migrated toward the system we have now and that's why you end up with not a nominee like Donald Trump somebody who didn't have any prior experience in politics but who people thought was going to shake things up and do something different, that was a more important value to them right. than the other values that were around you know, 80, 90 years ago. Well, and a counter-argument to your point of view, which I actually on one level agree with, and I think we've got like 90 seconds left, but it, at the point that the federal government becomes so enormous and bloated and profitable for those in it, and the Democrats and Republicans are clearly cooperating with each other, nobody shrinks the government. It just grows and grows and grows. At that point, you can't trust the party elders, and you need a firebrand. You need to chuck a grenade, as they say, and you know whether it's Donald Trump or, or somebody like that. Yeah, I mean, I, and that, that's the other problem is when you've got this sort of uh, industrial complex that arises around lobbying and influence politics in Washington, you know, people do want an outsider, and that's a perfectly understandable need. But how do you balance that with the desire to have, you know, a, a nominee of the party who can actually govern, who can actually command 
the middle of the country, which is right. what you want, I think. Ultimately, you want someone who governs from the middle because that ends up creating a situation where you've got less inflamed passion and people on either side at least hopefully can say, yeah, you know what, I can get on board with this guy. Lon He Chen of the Hoover Institution, Stanford University, and Crossing Lines with Lon He Chen, the excellent podcast. Lon He, I hope the uh, good folks listening enjoy the chats because we sure do every time. Thanks a million. Hey, thanks for having me. Yeah. I just think I like the idea of uh, it being about uh, the the platform rather than the personality. Right. And and, and then they pick somebody that's going to act their platform. If you don't like that platform, you go to the other side. Or a third party comes up that Mm -hmm. challenges those two platforms as opposed to the right personality to to challenge the the other personalities, Mm -hmm. which isn't happening, obviously. It hasn't gotten off the ground. And or the party elders get the word that, listen, we have got to change or we will get no votes. We need to shake things up. We can't uh, continue to, you know, scratch the Democrats' back, say, well, uh, you know, they scratch ours, or vice versa, depending on which way you swing. Uh, I don't know. It's just such an interesting question to me. Democracy can't possibly work. <laughs> uh, it's, it's been a lovely try, though. Crossing Lines with Lon He Chen is his podcast. I don't know how everybody... I, I know people who seem to take in endless podcasts, newspaper articles... Yeah. Latest hit TV shows and movies. I don't know how y'all do it. No, I don't either. <laughs> when do you sleep or eat? Uh, or I eschew most other responsibilities in my life. For other, there's, that's one plan. It, it, it'd be easier without children, no doubt. But uh, I don't know how people do, do find all that stuff. There's certainly plenty of content out there right now. Yeah. How many friends do you have that say, oh, man, you got to listen to this podcast. It's great. It's three hours and 45 minutes long. <laughs> When? How? What? 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 Am I driving to uh, Fairbanks at some point this week? Come on. Too much content. Armstrong and Getty.